I'm not Pastor Charlie. If you're new here and confused, I'm Pastor Tom Atkinson. I'm the administrative pastor here. Uh, pastor Charlie's taking a couple weeks off. We encourage that, the opportunity for him to have a break, to come back refresh. It's just a wonderful opportunity for our pastor. So I get to fill in this morning. Uh, I get to, uh, you know, bring God's word. And every time I do, it, I'm just going to tell you, it rocks me before I ever get a chance to, to, to talk about it. And as I was sharing with the group last night, uh, you know, I was sitting in, in the room over here, and they were singing that song, Your Love Never Fails. And it just hit me that no matter how many times I wander off the path, no matter how many times I, I stumble and I fall, that God's love never fails. And to be, to be able to stand here and say to you all that I do trip, I do fall, I am human, but God's love never fails. It was just one of those moments that just spoke to me. And, and again, this morning, it spoke to me. And I just love the worship here. I love the opportunity we have to worship and how it takes us to the cross and the fact that we have a risen Savior who loves us so much. And no matter what we do, His love never fails. And so if you have your Bible or your electronic device, I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of Proverbs chapter 7. We're in the, the series of Proverbs. We've talked about integrity. We've talked about a lot of different issues. And today, I want to talk about the path that you're on. I want to talk about this journey called life and, and what that looks like. See, Pro Proverbs is this wonderful book of the Bible. It's an opportunity for us to gain wisdom from the wisest man in history. God, who created everything, when, when, when Solomon was on earth, said, you know, I just want wisdom. And he poured wisdom into Solomon. And Solomon took this and was wise enough to write it all out for us to understand some, some understandings of life and so today i want us to look at our path and what Solomon had to say in the book of proverbs about this thing called life see each of us you me we're on a journey and this journey called life is, is the path in which we're following and i i think it's safe to say you know because i work here i'm here every week that i think this is a safe bet to say none of you live here because when I come in in the morning, I'm not seeing you all like showering or brushing your teeth in the restrooms or something. It's a pretty safe bet to say you don't live here. That you live somewhere else and that you journeyed to get here this morning. Unless, of course, you're watching online and then you haven't journeyed yet. Or maybe you're not going to. But, but welcome online and we're glad you're here. But th it's pretty safe to say you journeyed to get here. Each of us unless had to physically move along a path. To get here this morning and, and chances are you got in your car and you followed a routine that you're so used to following and in fact some of you probably had a conversation with somebody you were riding with to the point that when you pulled in the parking lot you went oh we're here but you're not even remembering the path it, it became so routine so so you know second nature to just follow the path you're on now now walk with me for a minute imagine if this were the first time you ever journeyed here, how easy would it be to get lost? And you say, it's not that tough. I just take the address and I put it into my smartphone and it tells me how to get here. Okay, so journey back a little bit farther. Before Google Maps, before this revolution of cell phones telling us what to do, where you had to give directions. Remember life and the simplicity of you know, before we could just type in an address and it tells us where to go, of, of sharing with someone how to get to somewhere else. 
And I, I remember, you know, you give instructions like, okay, now I want you to count 15 mailboxes, then take a left. And then you're going to see a tree stump and take a right. And, you know, and you're going, okay, did I count 14 mailboxes? I, ah. And what if you made the wrong turn? I'm talking back in the days where you had to carry spare change because if you took the wrong turn and found yourself down the wrong path, you had to go find yourself a payphone. And you had to call people and say, uh, was it 13 mailboxes and one stump or 13 stumps and one mailbox? But the worst part about that is having to pick up that phone and calling the person and saying, I've gotten off track. I've strayed. I, I'm lost. And it, what's, what's amazing is that for many of us, that's, we're too prideful to say we've gotten off track. We're too full of ourselves to say, you know what, I, I'm lost. And, and just what happens in life if we get off track? What happens if we, we're on the journey, we, we're on this path, and we've just been distracted or tempted and gotten off just a little bit? Well, here's the truth. Up front, here's the truth. Whatever path you're on, whatever road you're taking determines where you'll end up. Whatever path you're on, whatever road you're taking determines where you will end up. Your path determines your destination. Whatever road you're on determines your outcome. And this is obvious for us if we're driving or if we're hiking or we're out trying to get to from point A to point B. But why can't we understand this principle in our spiritual life, in our marriages, in our dating life, in our careers, or with our family? That the road we're on determines our destination. Our direction ultimately determines where we'll end up. Not our intentions, not, not our dreams, not our hopes, not our goals, but the path we're on. See, Proverbs, this is taken straight out of Proverbs 1. Proverbs, uh, the Solomon, the son of David, was used for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding and insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, for doing what is right, just, and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. He says, let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding Proverbs and parables. And the saying of the riddles and the rise. So here's what I want to do. I want to walk through chapter 7 of Proverbs. And, and just so I can set it up, we're going to, they're going to talk about the seductive woman. I want you to see the seductive woman for what she really is. This is temptation that jumps out in the path of the young man. So here we see Solomon giving instruction to his son. And what you're going to see is, here's some advice, son. Here's an illustration of why you need to heed the advice then here's why I'm trying to keep you from what's out there. Here's what could happen to you if you don't heed the advice. Chapter 7, verse 1. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live long. Guard my teaching as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. And say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from the adulterous woman, from the wayward woman and her seductive words. Here we see in the beginning is a father passing down wisdom to his son. And dad is telling his son to take hold of this advice. And, and what, what I really find interesting, and I don't know, as a parent, maybe it's just me. But you look at your kids sometimes and you say, listen to me or I'll kill you. 
I'm just saying. It's probably not the right choice of words. But here he says, son, keep my words, store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Kind of the same thing. <laughs> he just says it much nicer. I'm trying to pour into you so that you can have a long life. I'm trying to give you some wisdom so that you, know, you don't have to face this stuff and be tempted in a dangerous realm. I want you to live long and prosper. But what he wants is the best for his kid. He said, listen to me. Here's some wisdom I'm pouring into you. Solomon is saying, protect these things. Embrace these things. Welcome them as you would a relative. Then he transitions. And he says, at the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, and I noticed the young men, a youth who had no sense. I'm choosing my words correctly here. Because how many of us, adults, teenagers, you're excluded from this question. But how many of us take a look at that next generation come up and go, man, they ain't got no sense at all. <laughs> I, I want, I, I'm, I'm fearful for that next generation taking over because, whoo, man. Let's be honest, teenagers, youth lack judgment. And that's not being critical. I was a teenager, and when I was a teenager, man, uh, you just can't fix stupid. <laughs> I mean, I would get into situations where it's like, why? And generally it was because I didn't listen to the teachings that came. I didn't pay attention to the words and the instructions that were given to me. Instead, I wanted to go down my own path and follow the temptations that the world had and make my own mistakes. Why? Because I'm going to cut my own path. I'm going to chart my own course. I'm my own man. And how many young people today go into the same thing, facing the same temptations, and before they know it, they're in trouble. And here's what happens. As parents, we can see the trouble that's ahead because we have experience. And see, youth lack judgment. The, the, the only way they gain strong judgment is through experience. Young people have neither strong judgment nor experience. And it's our jobs, mom and dad, to pour into their lives to say, from the experience we've gained, from the wisdom we have, you need to avoid some certain things. There's a pitfall out there. As parents, we can see things so clearly. You know, like if your daughter's about to date that guy, and you just know. I'm getting into this age. I've got a 14-year-old daughter. And I'm just looking at her going, one day, I'm going to tell you no. Until you're 34. And at that point, I'll say, maybe. <laughs> but how come we can see stuff that they can't? Because we have the experience, we have the understanding. We, we can see the red flags. They're caught up in the moment. We're caught up in the understanding. So uh, remember, this is advice from the father to his son. He passes this on. And then he gives this illustration starting in verse 8. He says, uh, this young man, he was going down the street near the corner, walking along in the direction of her house at twilight as the day was fading as the dark night is setting in. Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with a crafty intent. She's unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home. Now in the streets, now, now in the square, at every corner she looks. She took hold of him and kissed him. And with a brazen face, she said, Today I fulfilled my vow, and I have food for my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I looked for you, and I have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my, bed with, perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. 
My husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till the full moon. Now, I don't know what disturbs me more, the fact that her husband took his purse or the fact that this woman just comes out and tempts this young man. It's like, look at the setting. It's dark. The sun is saying, you know, you can't see. It's not like there's streetlights all over the place like in the world we live in. It's, it's, it's confusing. And out of nowhere, on this man's path, this woman comes out and confronts him with a kiss. That could be disturbing. And you see Solomon explaining the story from the point of he's watching this whole thing take place. And he's using this illustration to his son. He's saying, look, pay attention. Temptation is going to come out of nowhere, and it's going to rock your world. And temptation is going to meet you face to face, and it's going to tell you there's no consequence to my path. And then he goes, heed my instructions. Verse 21 says, with pervasive words, Persuasive words, excuse me. She led him astray. She seduces him with his smooth talk. And all at once, he follows her like an ox going to slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into the snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. All at once, this young man goes off the path because of temptation, because something else looks better. This is that ultimate squirrel moment, that ultimate, look, shiny object has taken me off my path, has grabbed my attention. I no longer have my eyes fixed on the path that's been set before me. I'm now tempted to go astray. But we see the father, he's jumped back in. He's given instructions to his son. He says, now listen to me. Verse 24. Now then, my son, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Let not your heart turn to her ways or strain to her path. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave leading down to the chambers of death. I just think it's so important. Here's the father looking at his son going, pay attention. Because these things that are out there, these things that want to distract you, these things that want to take you off that path you're on, her road, her highway lead down to the chambers of death. So what can we learn from this? How can we take this chapter that we just looked at and apply it to our lives? There's three observations I want us to look at, followed by three points of application. The first observation is this. Be careful to follow the path. Understanding the path that Solomon is talking about. Solomon is passing down wisdom to his son. Some of this wisdom Solomon received from his father David. Some came directly from God. It's where he says, in Proverbs said, My son, keep my words and store them up. Store up my commands with you. Solomon begins with this history lesson, and he tells his son this word. Store them up. Make, them, make sure the wisdom is always with you. Then he goes on to say, Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablets of your heart. We hear this interesting word, Bind. This instruction is remarkably familiar to the same words that Moses passed along to the Israelite people when he says in Deuteronomy 6, these commands that I give to you today are to be on your heart. Impress them on your children. Talk to them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hand and bind them on your forehead. Write them on the door frames of your house and on your gate. 
the instruction from Moses has handed down to Israel, like, look, parents, you have a responsibility to give this instruction to your kids. And what's funny is when I read that, and I'm, I'm just chasing a rabbit here real quick. When I read that, I'm always reminded of the controversy of when we, we get upset that they take the Ten Commandments down in the courthouses. When many of us don't even have the Ten Commandments up in our own homes. And we want our children to understand what it is to live out a biblical lifestyle, what it is to follow God. But yet we're not teaching it at home. We're not telling our own children, pay attention. If you want to live, this is how you live. This is how you stay on the path. So we see Solomon passing that information down to his son. So wisdom he got from his father, David. Wisdom he got from the whole community of the Israelite nations before him. And David, Solomon's father, wrote these words. I have hidden your words in my heart that I might not sin against you. David knew the importance of keeping on the path. And even greater, David understood the impact of going off the path, of, of following the, and understanding the poison that comes with being tempted. David's desire for Solomon was to follow that path. And Solomon's desire for his son was to follow that path. And we're so lucky to have God's word to pour into our life that we can look at our own lives and say, I want to follow that path. We can look at our own children and say, follow the path. Be careful to follow the path. Second observation is this. You'll be tempted along the way. You will be tempted along the way. Following God's path, Proverbs 7, 5, will keep you from the adulterous woman will keep you from these temptations that are going to come out of nowhere, these temptations that are just going to blindside you. Following the path and understanding God's will for your life, following that path will keep you from the adulterous woman. See, life is full of distractions and temptations and, and shiny objects always trying to bide for our attention. One such thing for me came when I was traveling. I don't know if you've ever been on I-10 it's somewhere between Deming, New Mexico, and say Tucson, Arizona. But you'll start seeing billboards that say, The Thing. They're everywhere. For a 200-mile stretch from Deming, New Mexico to Mountain View, Arizona, 200 miles, there are over 247 billboards in yellow, red, and blue that say, The Thing. And I've traveled that road, and I've seen the billboards, and I was like, The Thing, woo. But one time, about two years ago, I'm traveling down to visit my family in, in Tucson, and, and, and I see the thing, and I've seen the billboards for the thing numerous times, over and over and over, and I finally gave in. And I pulled into the rest stop. And here's what I learned about the thing. That I'll never get my money back. <laughs> and still to this day, I cannot explain to you in detail what the thing is but it sure was big enough to distract me it sure was big enough to get me off course and i could justify it saying well i gotta stretch my legs anyhow but isn't it funny how often temptation comes along and blindsides us and gets us off track and we can even try to justify it only to have no explanation of what we just experienced other than man i just got completely off track temptation is real temptation is going to happen Christ knew this. Christ knew this because when he's teaching his disciples to pray in Matthew, he says, pray this, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us 
from the evil one. Now, if Christ was going to say it's going to be a cushy life, you're not going to be tempted by anything, you're not going to face these temptations, then why would he teach us to pray, lead us not into temptation? As Christians, we are not immune to being tempted. It's not, I've accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, and I don't have to worry about the world. It's now that I am a Christian, Satan's going to try to get me off track. He's going to be throwing everything he has at me. We're not immune to it, and Jesus knew this, and so he taught us to pray, lead me not into temptation. The third thing is this. Getting off track is deadly. Getting off track, veering off track, that, poor, that path, that course that God has set you on is deadly. Proverbs 7, 25 through 27 says this, Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her path, because many are the victims she's brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death. Missing the mark, can cost us greatly. The truth is, though, never do we ever, there's no one in this room, not one of us hits the mark completely. No matter how hard we try, I am never going to fully hit the mark. There's going to be times I stumble, there's going to be times I fall. Romans 6.23 says, though, the wages of my sin is death. What I deserve and full payment for my behavior is death. And see, sin, understand the word sin and where we get the word sin. It actually comes from an archery illustration, an archery word, harmonitio, is where it's, the archer draws back his bow and he shoots at the, the target. And with the distance between dead on and where his arrow lands is the harmonitio that's missing the mark. They call that Sin. And no matter how hard we try, we are never going to fully hit the mark. We're going to be taken off the path. We're going to be distracted. But the good news of missing the mark, Romans 3.23, is that for all, each one of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But John 3.16 says, For God so loved us that he gave his only son to die on a cross on our behalf. Getting off track... Can be deadly stumbling can be deadly turning our backs to christ can be deadly and we're all capable we all have sin we all miss the mark so how do i keep from getting off track how do i journey down this life how do i avoid ever having to take the pocket change and picking up the payphone and calling somebody and say i'm off track the first thing is this avoid confusion understand this that in verse 7 chapter 21 with pervasive words persuasive words she led him astray she seduced him with smooth talk and when i read that i think about what the world tells us and how smooth the world can be in making the world look so appealing and the world is saying, look, just, just come. Just, just come taste what I have. Just come be a part of this. You know, you, you really don't need that. And what we have to do is stop listening to the worldly persuasions. How do we do that? I, I, I think it's important. He says, you know, listen to the word of God. Take in the word of God. 
Even David said, your word, I've hidden my heart that I might sin against you. And Solomon says, listen to these words. And this isn't the first time we hear this. We hear this theme on through the Bible. And in fact, after Moses' death, the Israelite community was given to Joshua to, be, to lead into the promised land. And one, Joshua was one of Moses' aides. And, and, and before he took off this journey to lead them into the promised land, in Joshua 1.8, Joshua looks at the Israelite community and says this, Do not let this book of law depart from your mouth. But meditate on it day and night so that you'll be careful to do all that's written in it. He says, do not let this book of law, do not let God's word depart from your mouth. Understand it. Meditate on it. Know it. Then he goes on to say, then you will be prosperous and successful. Now when I hear that, when I hear that if I let God's word into my life, if I let God's word marinate my brain, if I let God's word not leave my tongue, that it's only through that that I can be prosperous and successful. Then how can I look at what the world offers me and say, yes, that's the path. Yes, that's the way. When the truth is in God's word, this is where prosperity lies. This is where truth lies. This is where success lies. So how do we do that as a community? Number one, if you're not life journaling, Man, let me encourage you to be life journaling. You know, as a pastor, I, I've been in the ministry 21 years, and um, I would have my quiet times, and I would spend time with God, and I would read His Word, and I've read through the Bible. But then I came here a year ago, and I was introduced. And I'd never heard of life journaling before, and I was introduced to life journaling. And let me just tell you, as far as my quiet times, as far as being in the Word of God, life journaling has rocked my world. Not in a, a negative way, not in a, a, a hard way. And in fact, it's really simple. But what it's done is had me in God's word, and not just by myself, but with other believers. Reading the same thing in the same chapters and the same verses. And where this plays out is that I can come to work and we can have conversations about what we read that day. What God was telling us through his word that day. And we're all kind of on the same page. And it's not just at work. You know, we, we see this in our life groups where people hang out with and we have these conversations about, hey, did you read that in your life journal today? So I'm not on this journey alone, but I have people around me and I'm in God's word. And, and the second thing is be involved in a life group. If you've not signed up for a life group, if you're not a part of a life group, I'm going to encourage you to do that today because this is our opportunity to do life with people, to come around people and say, look, we're worried about the path you're on. And in love, we want to help straighten things out. We want to support you. And, and so life group lets us, you know, unpack God's word with people that are concerned about God's word and our journey. It allows us to take that book of life into our own life and digest it. Second thing this, you need to avoid selfishness. I think it's interesting that when the temptation approaches this young man, the temptation says this in verse 15, I came to meet you. I looked for you. I have found you. And if you're that man, you're going, then I'm the man. Because temptation says, this is all about you. And this young man's going, you're, you're darn right it is. And before he knows, he's caught up in this selfishness mindset of going, yeah, it's about me, isn't it? It's all about me. And when temptation comes along and pulls us off track, oftentimes we want to say, yeah, it is about me. I, it's about me because 
I'm important. And you are important because, look, God loved you so much, he sent his son to die in your place. He sent his son because he says, you are important, but understand this, your selfishness will lead you away from me, not to me. And that's where we get in trouble. We get into trouble when we start thinking that we're so special, that we're so important that these rules, these biblical principles don't apply to us. It's the selfishness that gets us off this path. It's the selfishness that says, I don't have to meet with other believers. It's the selfishness that says, I don't have to be in God's word. It's the selfishness that says, I can do this on my own. I can make up my own rules. I can do life how I want to do it. And before we know it, we've gotten off the path. And then we get so caught up in selfish pride that we're not going to pick up the phone and call anybody and say, I'm lost. Instead, we're going to wallow in our own selfishness. Full of pride, full of self, and wonder why we can't get back to that path. Selfishness is a dangerous thing. The third thing is this. And this is crucial. Is that you need to stop playing games. You say, Pastor Tom, what do you mean stop playing games? And how are we playing games? Look at verse 14. Just understand for a minute what this lady's saying. Verse 14, she says, Today I fulfilled my vows. And I have food from my fellowship offering at home. Which means she's gone to the temple. She's made atonement for her sins. And she, she's laid her, her whole big bag of sin at the altar and said, okay, God, forgive me. And then she turns her back and says, look, I've, I've made right. Let's go sin some more. And how often do we come in to church saying, I'm going to go through this religious motion of just, you know, playing the game in order to walk out the door and live life how I've always lived life. In order to go out, not change, not transform, but just go back to what we were doing. She's saying, look, I've left that sin at the altar. I've dumped my sin out. God has forgiven me. Now I'm ready to go fill it up again. Now before we judge her, we kind of live in the same system sometimes. You know, how many of us have reduced 1 John 1.19 that says, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. We, we've claimed that, we, we pray it, and then we walk out the doors and we go back to the same things we've always done. We go back to doing the same things, tempted by the same things, falling into the same temptation. God has taken away our sins. We say if we just pray a magic prayer, we can empty our bags of sin. Then we can go out and spend the week filling it back up. Folks, that's cheap grace. That, that is cheap grace. That's saying that the price that Christ paid on the cross is cheap. And I'm still going to live life how I want to live it, knowing that I can go back on the weekend, pray the prayer, and be forgiven. Does God forgive us? Yes. But I think you need to understand that cost, the price that was paid on the cross for your sins, for my sins. It's our sin. It's our missing the mark. It's our getting off the path that put Christ on the cross. There's no thought, no process of repentance or making that life change or that transformation. It's cheapening the grace of saying, I've paid my dues, I've played my games, and now I'm going to go back to living life how I want to. And Folks, that's just an insult to God. 
is saying, I'm selfish enough that I've got this figured out, and it's more about me than it is God, and I can live my life any way I want, just as long as I show up and I pray the prayers. It's a dangerous path. It's a dangerous path because it says I'm more caught up in a religious practice rather than coming before my maker and sincerely asking him to forgive me for the times that I've strayed. So I'm going to ask you this question in just a second. We're going to pray. Where are you at on this path? Are you journeying down that path or have you strayed? Have you even began the journey on the path by accepting Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads, close your eyes. It's a simple question. And it's not a question that's about your neighbor or or, or who you're sitting with or who's in the row. It's a question for you that only you can answer. Where are you at in that journey? Have you accepted Jesus Christ? And if you have, where are you at on that path? Have you strayed and gotten off track? And is it time to get back on track? Is it time to let go of the selfishness in order to allow God to work in and through you? What is God saying through his word? What is he saying your next step is? And I believe all of us have a next step. Every one of us has a next step. How does God want you to respond to this message? you need prayer in any area of your life in just a minute we're going to give you the opportunity to receive that prayer see we have prayer partners that are going to come they're going to be here to pray with you and you won't be coming along there's going to be other people that are coming as well so what i'm going to do is i'm going to pray and after i pray i'm just going to simply ask you to get up and to come father god lord in the stillness of this room Examine our hearts, Lord. Help us understand where we are on this path. Help us understand where we are in our relationship with you. And Lord, help us understand if we're selfish or playing games, Lord, let us just leave that here. Not in a, in a moment of just being selfish, Lord, to cleanse ourselves, but in a moment of transformation that we allow you to work through us. So Father, allow us to know you, allow us to come into relationship with you and be transformed, Lord, that we can leave this place this morning different from who we walked in. Father, Daddy, Abba, guide us to those next steps. Father, lead us not into temptation. Because, Father, there's probably going to be people here that are tempted not to move, tempted not to get out of their city, tempted not to come and say, Lord, I need to be put back on the path. Daddy, give us your strength that we may follow you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.